If you guys have anything to add, anything to say tonight, any questions, please feel free to stop me and ask me. Um, I might ask a couple questions here and there, but I know there's a lot of knowledge and there's a lot of biblical, uh, a big biblical wealth of knowledge here in this room. So if you have something to add, please do that. Um, I, I'm, I'm learning as we're all learning, and uh, I'm excited to be here tonight, although nervous, but I am excited. Um, so what I want to talk to you tonight about is in John 19, we're going to just go over a few verses, and it's going to be one event. Um, and this is, this is when Jesus is on the cross, so let's, get, let's read it, and then uh, it's going to be John 19, um, 25 through 30. And I'll read the whole thing, and then, uh, then I'll go from there. says, therefore the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your mother, or sorry, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his household, his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. So I'm going to open up with prayer really quick. Lord, I thank you for tonight, God. I thank you for for your word. I thank you, Jesus, for what you did on this cross. God, I thank you for sending your son to save all of mankind through this event, Lord. And uh, I ask that you would just be with me tonight, Lord, and that you would speak um, through your word, Lord, as we study your word, that you would speak to our hearts, God. And we love you, God, and we thank you. And we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. So, I guess I'm going to go to the back. So I really want to paint the picture and, and figure out where Jesus was at this time. So Jesus is on the cross, right? And it says, therefore, the soldiers did these things. And before that, it's talking about how the soldiers had cast lots. And they had, they had uh, um, in order to divide up his clothes, and they had mocked him. And they'd done all these things, right? And all was in accordance to Scripture. All was in accordance to what Jesus, or what had been prophesied about Jesus a thousand I mean, from Genesis 3, when they were kicked out of the garden, and this is the seed that was going to defeat Satan, right? This was Jesus. This was manifest um, at this point. And what's interesting in, Psalms, or in Mark 15, um, one of the things that Mark records that Jesus says on, on the cross, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's one thing that at first when I, I'm, I can remember thinking about that. Well, why did God leave him? Why did God forsake him? And I don't think that's exactly what's going on there. I mean, I'm not sure theologically, but it mimics exactly Psalms 22, right? That's the first verses when, when, uh, when Jesus, or in Psalms 22, when it talks about Jesus on the cross. And if you want to turn to Psalms 22, and by the way, we're going to be flipping around the Bible a lot because I like the Bible to speak for me and not, <laughs> not myself. So Psalms 22 starts out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then it goes on, and it goes on to talk about how his heart turns to wax. It goes on to talk about what Jesus was going through on the cross while he was there. Just the anguish that he was going through and the ridicule that he was receiving. It even talks about 
um, how uh, they pierced his hands and his feet, and you can count all the bones in verse 16 and 17. In verse 18, they divide my garments among them. So all of these things are happening. Jesus doesn't say very much on the cross when he's on the cross. He's got to be in a lot of pain, right? Um, they say just in order to breathe, you had to lift yourself up, putting all the weight on the nails in your feet. And it was just anguish to speak. So there's very little recorded about what Jesus says, right? This is all that's, that, this statement is all that's recorded besides the last gasp in Mark and, and, uh, and Matthew. In Luke, it gives a little bit of the interaction um, where he says, forgive them for they, they know not what they do. Um, also, it's, he talks to the, the thief that uh, basically accepts him all on the cross. And he says, today you will dine with me in paradise, right? Um, or you'll be with me in paradise. You know? So Jesus says very little. Um, and so when I read this in John uh, 19, that Jesus took the time to make sure his mother was taken care of, it got me thinking about that. What, what was significant about that? You know, Jesus, here's Jesus. He was the manifest of the word, right? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. In verse 15, and the word became flesh. Jesus was the manifestation of the Old Testament, of everything that God had promised to redeem mankind. Jesus was there. He had been walking. He had done all the miracles. He had fulfilled so many prophecies. He's right at that verge, right? They say he was on the cross for about six hours or so. He's right on that verge of saying it is finished, right? All of this is prophesied. Except for that part, I couldn't find any prophecies about him having needing to give his mother over to John and making sure that his mother was taken care of. Um, and I, I even asked Pastor Ecke because he's a lot smarter than me. Is, is that prophesied? You know, he said not that he's aware of. Is that prophesied? Right. But I started really thinking and praying about it, and uh, it just shows the heart of Jesus that yes, he did the law. Right. He fulfilled the law we always focus on jesus never sinning jesus always doing the will of the father but even to the point where jesus honored his mother and his father up until the end he he completed the fifth commandment which includes doing things not just not doing things a lot of times as christians we think i just can't do this i can't do this i can't do this and uh jesus came to show us that there are things that we have to do um so jesus was following the plan He's going through. The plan is laid out. Um, the next thing he does, he says, I'm thirsty, right? Knowing that they're going to offer him the, the vinegar. And uh, basically that's prophesied that he's thirsty. In, in Psalms 22, 15, it says, I am thirsty. Uh, what is it? Uh, my tongue cleaves to my jaws, right? That's that cotton mouth. He's very thirsty. And then in Psalm 69, 27, it says, they gave me gall for my food. Which was prophesied in, which was spoken about in, in Matthew, I believe it is, where they tried to give him gall, which is numbs the senses before he goes to the cross, which he refuses. And he says, and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. And that's what happened right there at the end um, of John. And another interesting thing that I know you've heard, but the hyssop branch was the same branch, the one that they used to offer him the, the vinegar. That hyssop branch is the same branch that God had commanded them to paint the blood on the doors, door, doorposts during the Passover, for the Passover in Exodus. He told them to use the hyssop branch, dip it in the blood, and paint it on the doorposts. Um, so there's a lot of things going on. Jesus points to Psalms 22 because 
he already, I mean, Jesus is God, right? God wrote the Bible. He already knew what was written about him. He knew what was prophesied about him. He was pointing us to all those prophecies, right? In John 20, um, it talks about how John and Peter went up to the, the uh, tomb. They didn't know what was going on. And John even says, at that time, we didn't understand Scripture at all. But Jesus was pointing them constantly to the Scripture and to the prophecies. And so, like I was saying, it's very, it was very painful to speak on the cross. So when I read that and I couldn't find anything, I just wanted to see what was going on there. What was Jesus trying to show us? Because everything Jesus did was very purposeful. Right, Jesus. If you if you've ever heard purpose driven life, there's I think there's a book or something about it. Jesus is our perfect example of what it means to live purposely. Right, he did exactly what the Father had laid out for him to do. Um, and uh, when I was looking at this passage, one thing I started studying is some people look at that as theology. I didn't know this, but this is where the Catholic faith gets the theology or part one of the verses that they use to say that Mary should be revered. Mary should be put on a pedestal because they think and what they say is that Mary is given ownership over the disciples and so she's like mother of the disciples now and not the other way around where it, they're seeing it as Mary was put over the disciples in Jesus' place as opposed to the opposite way. And that's one of the things they use to try to elevate. Obviously, that's not true. Even if we read this, it doesn't say so Mary um, in verse uh, 28 or no, verse 27, it doesn't say Mary took the disciple into her household. It says, no, from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. He took her and cared for her, right? So just looking at this verse that goes along or it goes against it, but also if you look at Luke 11, 27 to 28, where Jesus rebukes a woman who tries to elevate Mary, right? Um, Jesus was saying... You know, he was speaking and he, had, he was amazing in his wisdom and his insight. And in verse 27, it says this, While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised their voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which, at which nursed you. But he said, On the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. So Jesus was saying, No, that's not. Yeah, Mary's, no. Don't focus on her. Focus on someone who goes and he observes the word of God. Also in 1 Timothy 2.5, it says, um, it says this, for there is, if you, uh, I'm just going to read it really quick. It says, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. So some, well, the Catholic faith has used this verse to try to tout their elevation of Mary. Right? They say they don't worship Mary, they pray through her, and then Mary goes to Jesus on their behalf, but that's really not biblical at all. And there's a lot of verses beyond the ones that I just cited that just show that that's not true. So this text is a narrative text. It's telling a story, right? So I don't, I'm not trying to get theology out of this. I just want to get a principle, a concept out of it, of what was Jesus trying to do. Um, I really want to look at plainly as Jesus was practicing what he preached. And we'll go some, through some verses in Matthew um, of things that he preached that line up with exactly what he was doing here on this cross um, and why he was taking care of Mary and why he was giving Mary to John as, uh, I guess, care 
has to care for his uh, his mother. So, I guess to draw out of this, my, my goal to draw out of this passage is that we are a family of God and that this is what Jesus is trying to illustrate here, is that as a church, we're a family and there's a certain way families act towards each other. Um, and I know this church is very good at, at, uh, at being a family and uh, it's amazing, uh, the family that we have here. And I just want to encourage that and I want to see it grow more and more and more as we grow with people. I want us to make sure that we include them in our family as we get visitors, as we get people to come in. So that's kind of what I want to look at this passage for, um, that we are called to care for one another. Um, because our true family is the family of God. Um, so the first thing that I noticed when I looked this is that Jesus entrusted John. So you'll notice John is the only disciple there, right? He's the only one that was there. Um, he also refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved, right? Um, I think that all the disciples, I think we can even refer to ourselves as the disciples that Jesus loved. Um, but John had a deeper understanding of what God's love is and what Jesus' love for him was. But he was the only one there. Um, but Jesus, Jesus had brothers. Yes. He had four brothers, right? So my question was, well, why didn't he tell them to take care of him? Jesus obviously knew for a long time that he was going to go to the cross. Why didn't he pull one of them aside earlier and say, hey, you take care of mom. They didn't believe in him, and we're going to look at that. Also, Joseph isn't around. We don't know what happened to Joseph specifically, but we know that when Jesus started his ministry, he was probably dead. Uh, and Mary was most likely a widow at that time. That's just kind of assuming, because we really don't know. I don't think, uh, are there any verses that you know of Pastor West that talk about anything about Joseph? beyond the Egypt and, and a couple little things where they went and, uh, and Jesus, which I would really be upset with my kids if they stayed behind and we were traveling and left, you know, but he mentions Joseph at that time. But uh, um, so Joseph wasn't around and Jesus had most likely been caring for his mother. Mary's mentioned in a lot of stories where Jesus was around Mary. Think of the first miracle where Mary comes to him and says, hey, I need wine. They need wine. Right, So Jesus was around Mary. He was most likely taking care of her. She was most likely following him. But in this moment, he was giving her away. In a sense, there's one thing theologically you could say. I guess it's a refute to what the Catholics say. Is Jesus was telling Mary, you're going to need a Savior. You're going to need to believe in me in order to be, receive salvation. Right? So... He's just kind of saying, you know what, you're no longer, uh, I'm going to a different place, right? I'm giving you away. You're going to need a Savior just like John is going to need a Savior, just like that thief over there on the cross who just accepted me is going to need a Savior. And Mary wasn't going to go to heaven just because she was the mother of Jesus. She had to bow one knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? Um, she needed to do the same thing. So, as you guys mentioned um, well, Matthew thirteen fifty five gives the names. If you guys want the names of Jesus' brothers, the names are um, James, Joseph, <coughs> Simon, and Judas. And verse 57 said, and he also had sisters. So Jesus had relatives. He had brothers. He had sisters. Um, but like you, you said, in John 7, 5, it says this. Um, 
I'll read, I'll read John 7, 1 through 5. After these things, Jesus is walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of the booths, was near. Therefore his brothers said to him, Leave here and go into Judea, so that your disciples may also, also may see your works, which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, you show yourself to the world. Basically, they're saying, hey, if you're going to do it, why do it in secret? Let's go. If you're, if you're really who you say you are. And then in verse 5, it says, for not even his brothers were believing in him. So his brothers were not his disciples at this point, right? Little side note, they were at the day of Pentecost, though, which is amazing. And they did follow Jesus. And they did accept Jesus, their, little, their big brother growing up with him, right? They accepted him as their savior. Right, um, so that's just a little. That's in Acts uh, one fourteen. It talks about the brothers being there. Um, so normally, immediate family should take care of a widow, right? That's just kind of how it, it's always worked. You, a family members would take care of family members. That was Jewish custom. That was pretty much almost all customs. Is you take care of your own family. So why did Jesus give Mary into John's care? Right, he had brothers, and that that kind of—I mean, I knew the answer, but I wanted to find it in the Bible. Um, and in Mark three thirty-one through thirty-five, let's turn there. I believe this is the answer of why Jesus did this. Mark three uh, thirty-one through thirty-five. And it says this, Then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, Who are my mothers and my brothers? Looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God he is my brother and sister and mother. So at the time, I think Jesus was giving John, his disciple, care over Mary. Because he was showing us that disciples of Jesus, we need to care for disciples of Jesus. right? We need to care for each other as Christians. He, didn't, he wanted to make sure that his mother was with someone who was going to follow him. And Jesus knew all things, right? He, know, he probably knew that his brothers, I know he knew, he was God, he is God. He knew that his brothers would eventually come to him. But in this moment, they're nowhere to be found, right? But John is there, and he wants to give, uh, he wants to show that this is his family now. John is his family, his disciples are his family. And Jesus entrusted Mary to the care of one of his disciples, um, So that's kind of what I want to look at tonight is who is our family now, right? Because Jesus said a lot about families. We're going to look at a couple more uh, things about it. But Jesus entrusted, or has entrusted John, I guess, uh, with his family. Uh, and in, in essence was calling him his family. And Jesus has said it on multiple times um, that we are his family now. We're going to be brothers and sisters. If you look through the, the New Testament in the epistles, Paul says it all the time that we're adopted sons um, of God and that we're adopted in the family of Christ and that uh, 
we're a part of his family and that the church is one family and that we're a small church here not compared to the church globally right we're a small church and so we're family but we're still a part of the church of all those that believe in Christ um, and so that doesn't say that we should ignore our family if they're not in this church right so if we have people who are family members who aren't Christians or go to another church and they need help and they need assistance and they need care we, we should always care for our own personal family members those that are our family members we need to care for um, and uh, in 1 Timothy 5.8 it says this but if anyone does not provide for his own and this is Paul speaking to Christians and he's talking about widows and he's talking about family members and those that need care and he says if anyone does not provide for his own especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse for the unbeliever. So we need to care for our own family members that are Christians and that are following God, even if they're not Christians. If we are a Christian, we need to care for our family members. Um, and uh, to me, I mean, that's, that's a heavy verse, right? That we need to care for our family members because I'm sure a lot of us have family members who are like, what are they doing? You know, what, what are they doing, if they, especially if they're not following God? What are they doing? And they get frustrated, right? You might have family members that are stolen from you. You might have family members that are difficult, right? That doesn't mean we need to trust them with all our money and everything else, but we do need to care for them. Um, and if we don't care for those family members, how are we going to care for our family members here? So family is important. There's a lot of verses in the Bible about it. Um, and so... Another way to, or another thing that Jesus said about families is in Matthew 10. Um, and Jesus said that following him would divide families. You guys remember those verses? Right? Has anybody ever seen division in their family over following Jesus? Yeah. I, I haven't, personally, I haven't seen it in my family, but I've seen it in many families around because I'm blessed enough to have uh, grandparents on both sides that have loved Jesus. Right, um, but it says this in Matthew ten thirty four. It says, "Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter in law against her mother in law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. For he, for who, he who loves." father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me and he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me he who has found his life will lose it and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it so I'm sure that when Jesus gave Mary into the care of John I'm sure that might have rubbed Jesus' brother is a little bit wrong. I don't know. It doesn't say that in the Bible. It would me. You know, if I had a mom that I was supposed to care for, and then my older brother gave her into the care of someone else. I just have a question. Yeah. Do you know if his brothers and sisters were So I don't think they were. Um, from I was reading a, a commentary, and I think they were off back where they were from. And so they weren't there. And it, it mentions nothing about them. I know Mary's sister was there. Um, but it mentions nothing about them. And so the only ones that we know of are the five that were mentioned in John. Right? You have Mary. 
Um, you have Mary's sister, then you have Mary uh, Magdalene. Magdalene, and then there was another Mary. So there was three Marys there. Yeah. Yes. Um, there were three Marys there, and then there was John. And those are the only ones we know of. There might have been some disciples up on the hill peeking over. We really don't know. Um, but it says it, it was prophesied that they all are going to abandon him, right? Um, and so as far as his brothers, there is no indication that they are there at all. And they aren't. I don't know where they're at, but they're with them in Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost, right? Could you imagine what they felt like when they heard? Yeah. That he was crucified. Yep. I'm sure they probably came to care for their mother. But they found that John had already taken her into his household. And it says that John took her into his household. John was written about 70, 80 AD. So this was one of the last books written as far as the, um, the Gospels. So John is putting this in there. And he's saying that he cared for her and brought her into his own household. This is many, many years later, right? So obviously he did do that. And he had brought her into his household. So there might have been some... I don't know what his brothers thought. I don't know what his sisters thought. Maybe they just thought it was amazing, right? And maybe they saw once they, I mean, that first, the first church in Acts was amazing. They were a really strong family, right? They came together. They fellowshiped together. They lived together. They sold all things um, and gave to those who needed of believers. It's not a social gospel where we take all we have and we go and give it out to the, the poor who don't believe. They, they brought it and they gave everything within their church. Right, and they kept, um, they just kept themselves together, and they were a tight knit family. So maybe that didn't bring any animosity. I don't know, but as far as what Jesus said, we see this a lot, especially in today's day, about setting a man against father or uh, a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, and son will turn on father, and father will turn on son. If you look just in the United States, you can look at the Catholic religion. And you can look at, at other cults like the Mormon religion. When someone gets saved and they come to Jesus out of those, they get exiled from their family, right? I know Mormons, they'll have, they get exiled, they pretty much get run out of town, right? I had a friend uh, in San Luis Obispo who became a Christian, and they ran her out of town. She couldn't go home without Mormons sitting outside of her house. Her family wouldn't talk to her. I mean, it was, it was intense. I'd never seen anything like that. Uh, that's nothing compared to the Middle East, right? The Quran tells them that if someone becomes a Christian, they need to kill them, right? So in Pakistan, Iran, and other extreme countries where they worship the Muslim religion freely and they're not afraid, like here they're afraid of the laws, but in those countries that is the law, they kill them, right? Fathers will stone their daughters. Yeah, that's true. And I'm sure that they had family members turning them in at that point because Christians were being persecuted. So they saw it in their day, probably more intense than we see it here in the United States right now, but it's getting there. It's getting there all over the world. And if you look at the news, it's getting worse and worse. Um, but so Jesus says he's going to divide families, but he also says that his followers, those who do the will of God, are his family. Right? So he's not necessarily dividing. He's dividing earthly families. Those are water, right? They're blood and water families. 
but he's creating spiritual families. And what we have here is a spiritual family. We have a spiritual church that we're supposed to band together um, and take care of each other. Um, and uh, it's also talked about in Acts. Um, and going back to just Mary most likely being a widow, the office of deacons in Acts 6, 6 was created specifically for the care of widows, right? Because they were busy and some of the Hellenistic Jews or, or Christians, um, was it Hellenistic or, yeah, Hellenistic Jews um, against the native Jews. And they were feeling like, well, you're t- caring for those widows when you're not caring for mine. And, and it's the things that the disciples or the apostles were so busy that they raised up their deacons in order to care for the or widows because it was very important to care for family members. Um, and it was part of who Christians were to care for each other. Um, and it talks about the widows. Here, I'll just read it because it does it much better than I do. Acts 6, um, it says, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on a part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because the widows were being overlooked in daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for, to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Right? So, and we know that Stephen was one of the first deacons, and they had the office of deacons, and they were told to care for widows. So it was very important to care for the widows in the church. Um, And in 1 Timothy 5.8, Paul says this he says honor widows who are widows indeed but if any widow has children or grandchildren they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents for this is acceptable in the sight of god now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on god and continues in in entreaties and prayers day and night right but she who gives herself into wanton pleasures and deeds even while she lives prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach but if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of the household he has denied the faith and is worse than the unbeliever so basically he's saying we need to care for our own if a widow doesn't have a family that's going to care for her like the church is going to care for her care for her right um but if she has family and 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 i'm sure there's a lot of other scenarios where you have kids Orphans. Um, it's not really gone into, but it would be the same thing where we care for each other and we take care of each other and uh, we're commanded to do that. So, Jesus calls us to care for each other and to say that we're families and that we are going to lose families, members, right? So the next point I want to go is following Jesus wholeheartedly is costly, right? If you think of Jesus on the cross when he's giving his mother away to John and to the care of John, Jesus had nothing. I don't know, it just kind of hit me. He had nothing as far as what we would consider earthly things, right? He'd just given away or his clothes. The only thing he had left were his clothes, and they were gone, right? Now he had a mother, and he gave her away. He literally gave everything as, his humanly, as a human. He gave everything away because he knew, right? He knew where his treasures were because he was God. This, this didn't mean anything to him, all the earthly treasures, because he had a, the right perspective. Um, and uh, so following Jesus wholeheartedly is costly, right? Jesus 
in Matthew 16, 24 to 28. We're going to read that. When Jesus told his disciples this, they had no clue what he was saying, right? I'll guarantee you afterwards when they were writing this, they, they understood what he was saying, right? In um, Jesus, in Matthew 16, and it's 24 through 28, it says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels. And will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So Jesus is telling the disciples that, hey, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. I'm sure they thought, what in the world is he talking about, right? Because it says they didn't understand the scriptures. They didn't know that he was going to die on the cross and be raised again. Right? They didn't know he was going to be resurrected. They were still looking at him as the Messiah that they'd been expecting. Once they read this, once they wrote this, and the Holy Spirit's reminding them, okay, this is what Jesus said. They're like, oh yeah, that's exactly what it is. right? And they, they now had that picture of Jesus on the cross with nothing. Absolutely nothing. But in that moment of Jesus having absolutely nothing and so much pain, he still has compassion enough to care for his mother and to care for his disciples, and to care for the, the guards who had been beating him and nailing him to the cross, right? His last words on the cross were all compassion. They were all compassion and pointing to the prophecy because Jesus wasn't just, like I said earlier, he didn't just talk the talk. He lived, walked the walk. He lived it. He was the embodiment of the scriptures. Um, and so... His disciples soon learned that they had to give up everything, right? Of those 11 disciples left, 10 of them were martyred, right? John was the only one who wasn't martyred, right? I don't know why. That's something that I'm honestly going to ask Jesus when I get to heaven. Because I want to know, was it because John stayed with him to the end? <laughs> he was taking care of his mother. Maybe, was it because John was taking care of his mother? I don't know. I, I want to ask him, you know, there's a couple things I want to ask. I want to, Paul, I want to know what Paul's affliction was, what, is, what he was afflicted with, because we don't know, right? Well, there's certain things. Maybe he thought, Jesus doesn't have a wife, so why should I? Yeah, maybe. Following an example. Yep. So there's, there's certain things, yeah. It might be it, but I would love to find from, from Paul exactly what it is. <laughs> but from John, or from Jesus, John was the only one who wasn't martyred. Um, so, wait, for John, isn't he the one that when the, the soldiers came and took Jesus um, and everything, John was the one that was in there too. He was able, didn't he have some he was in there. position to where he was, he was there when they dragged Jesus? Um, remember when Peter denied him three times? John I, is the one that was there also. Correct? I believe John was in there, correct? Yes, and he yes. was a part of... I'd have to look that up. John, was John, when they, were, when they were trying Jesus and they were beating him and doing all these things and yeah. Peter denied Christ, John was still there with him. Yes, because right? John is the one who brought Peter in. Yeah, yes. that's what I'm and then, so, It is apparent that John, it's, it's thought that John had some relationship with Caiaphas 
That's what I was thinking. Okay. Some position. Some position, some relationship with him. Yeah. And then Peter left when he denied yeah. Christ so or heard the rooster crow. To do things that, and that's probably yeah. why he was at the, the cross because for some reason, like you said, because he was able to do things that the other disciples yeah. were not. He was somehow protected. Yes. I thought the reason why John was not a martyr because uh, Jesus wanted John to write Revelation. I know that, that John was uh, exiled to the <coughs> island of Patmos, yeah. and he wrote, so I'm not sure. It might be to write Revelation, um, but Revelation was written before the Gospel of John. Is that correct or no? Was it the last one? It was written after? Okay. In the case of John, tradition says, and there are a number of scholars who believe this, that they tried to boil John in oil. Yeah. And he would, they were not, he, he, would, he would not. <laughs> so God protected him in the oil. That's amazing. I'd rather die. Yeah. And we know that God did that. I mean, if you look at, was it Paul who was stoned? Uh, this is not widely circulated, but there are some people that have done some studies to, uh, Joseph was a Arimathea who buried Jesus and requested the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, there seems to be some connection between him and Jesus' family. Oh, really? I haven't heard that. And some people have been hmm. studying that. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of things. And when I was going through this, I had more questions than uh, about it than I was getting answered, honestly, as I was studying it. <laughs> so I have a whole list of questions that I'm still going to continue studying um, and that I've asked Pastor Eki, and he's a- answered a lot of them. Um, but... Uh, so when we look at this, as we're going through, following Jesus is wholeheartedly. And one of the things is, well, I thought salvation was free. Right? Isn't salvation free? Then how can it cost you your life? Right? And that's, I know that everyone in here knows that answer. We know that, yes, salvation is free. You know, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Right? We, it's a free gift. But it's going to cost us our life. And I was thinking about it, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? Kids are kind of free, right? But they cost you your life. <laughs> You're with them the whole time, right? So when that salvation is birthed in you, it's going to manifest. <laughs> it's going to manifest in yourself. And to truly follow Jesus, to truly follow Christ, the way that he's called us to live, is to do what Christ did, is to follow him. And Jesus, throughout the whole ministry, everything that he said, right? He said that he was alive to do the will of the Father, to accomplish in, in, in John 4, when he's talking to the woman at the well, and then he, the disciples come to give him food. He's like, hey, I've already eaten. And like, what, you brought food? No, it's, it's that the will of the Father um, is my food, and to accomplish his purpose is my food. And, that's, and so Jesus, his whole life was purposeful. And that's what he calls us to when we're called into it, is to live that purposeful life. So... It changes who we are. It changes our DNA. It changes the fabric of who we are when we actually become Christians. And we can't walk the other path. So that's why when we become Christians, it changes who our family is. Yes, we still have our family members. We still have our blood family members that we have to, you know, we have to still respect and be with, right? So you can have a parent or a sibling who's not a Christian. You still need to love them. You still need to care for them. But our true family the people that we really let into our lives are our church family, right? Um, and so as we move forward, um, we can follow Jesus together. 
Um, and Jesus, the last point I want to make is that Jesus said that when we do this, we'll be rewarded for, for doing this. Maybe not here on this earth. And even if we get rewarded on this earth, I don't want to be rewarded on this earth. <laughs> right? I want to be rewarded in heaven for following Jesus because those are the treasures, those are the rewards that are going to last forever. Those are the rewards that are gonna, I'm going to be able to lay at the feet of Jesus and just say, hey, God, this is what we did. I did through your power. These are the gifts you've given me, and then we can lay them at, at the feet of Jesus. But just to be with Jesus eternity, for eternity, um, that's going to be a reward. But in Matthew 19, we're already there in Matthew. Matthew 19, 27 through 30, it says this. It says this, Then Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the, gen in the generation when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or farms for my sake, will receive many times as much, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So, what, what does that mean? The first, the last, the last, the first. There, I've heard different things, but honestly, I don't want to just. Do you want to? I mean, I could try to answer it, but I don't. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. You go ahead. Okay. <laughs> but many who are first will be last, and others. You know what? How about this? How about we study it, and I'll bring you an answer on it. Because I don't want to get it wrong. I really don't. Um, I know that that uh, I'm, the, the thing that's coming to my head is the parable where Jesus is talking about the wages, right? And he's talking about. You know, there's a person who gets there in the morning and he's working all day. And then there's a person who gets there about two hours later and he's working all day and he's working uh, a few hours later, someone gets there. And in the last hour, someone gets there. And then at the end of the day, all their wages are equal, right? And it wasn't to do with, hey, we all need equal pay in our jobs. No, it was, it doesn't matter when you get saved and return and have eternal life. We're all going to be there. We're all going to get the same reward. Um, and I know there's a lot more to it than that, but that's just what comes to mind. So I will definitely get you an answer and study it more. Okay. Thank you, sir. Yep. So, so while, yes, we are to love our families as God has called us to, but we are to prioritize what families and what we do, right? We need to put God first. And uh, I know that we've all had this struggle, right? We've had the struggle. What do I put first? Do I put God? Do I put work? Do I put family? Do I put work? Because it provides for family. And then do I put God? And it's just, there's this constant struggle. And it's something you can say in your head of what are you going to put first? You're going to put God, family, work. But it's a constant battle, right? And you might intend to do one and then look at your life and you're like, oh, wait, I haven't been doing that, right? Um, so Jesus isn't calling us to completely forsake our families, but he's calling us to prioritize what we do and how we do it. So we're all families, or we're all a family here. And what do families do? They fellowship, they hang out with each other. And I think of my kids. Uh, I think of, of just being there for them. So it, 
a lot of people come into church and they might just tithe and then they leave and you don't see them till the next Sunday and they might tithe and then they leave and they feel like their ministry and their calling is to financially care for the church or you might have someone who gets up here and speaks like I get up here and I teach the youth but that's all I do is teach and then I disappear and then I don't I'm not really a part of the church I'm not really a part of the family um, and I start thinking about it it's like it would be it, to me that equates to being a father and it's time to go buy school supplies so I'm like okay I take my kids I go out buy some cool school supplies alright you guys are good for about two months till your shoes were worn out and then I'll buy you new shoes and then I disappear what kind of family member would I be right that is my role to provide for my children that is my role to provide to, to work and to provide money for them but that's not what being a family is right the state can do that for my kids you then my wife could go get welfare and they could the state could provide for them honestly so that's not the role the role of being a father is to teach, is to love on, to hold my kids, to be there, to have a relationship with them, to care for them, to love on them, to find out what their issues are, to find out where they're at, to find out what's going on in their life and how to encourage them to move closer to Christ. That's my role as a father. It is to provide. It is to do all these things. And all of us have roles in the church, right? Some of us might be teachers some of us might be a kitchen crew some of us might be all of these things and and if someone came in and did that and then left every week and didn't get involved they're not being a part of the family and that's what I love about this church is that we do have all these people we have a very serving church but they're all here and we're we're loving on people but something that I've noticed and I know everyone in here has noticed over the past couple of years we've lost quite a few people right and uh I just really, when I was studying this and praying about this, I really felt a desire and I wanted to, to relay that desire to you to reach out to those people that we've lost over the past couple of years because they might have been coming in, right? And they just kind of sit down and hang out, right? So my daughter loves to do this thing where she comes in and she'll sit down and she'll be like, I love mommy. And then she'll go and sit by mom and, and kind of ignore me and look at me through the side of her eye, right? And she's just ignoring me. And she's playing a little game. And she wants me to chase and follow her, right? And it's not that she doesn't want to be a part of my family. She's just feeling out who she is, right? And so I grab her and I love on her and I kiss her and we wrestle and, and roll around and, and I love on her. Well, when we have people who come in and visit, they might be hurting. They might be sitting there. And they might not engage because it's kind of intimidating to come into another family right um, so as we see them sitting there and I, I actually I've seen a lot of you do this especially Pastor Wes is very good at this he goes out and he engages with them and he draws them in right and he just pulls them in he says hey come be a part of our family and loves on people um, and I love that about this church that we're very good at this but I just really want to encourage everyone I know that we all know people who've left and if they're going to other churches and they feel God's called them to go there so be it and I love that I love that God has called them over there. And I don't say go try to get them, right? Make sure they're in a church, but there's a lot of people who've left that aren't in a church. But they're still Christian and they're still part of the family. We still need to draw them back in. Just because someone doesn't go to church doesn't mean they're not a Christian. We don't know. Maybe they're not. But we still need to love them and take them at the word that they did get saved or whatever they are 
and, and draw them in. Because just as Jesus was on the cross in so much pain, I mean, for me, I would have been thinking about the pain. I would have been thinking about how am I going to get off here. I would have been thinking about all these things. Jesus wasn't thinking about that, right? He was caring for other people the whole time. He was even on the cross, right? He was saying things that to point us to Psalms 22, to point us to prophecy. He was saying things to the thief on the cross. He was saying things to the guards and having compassion and asking God to forgive them. He had compassion, and he's our example. So as we care for those around us... Um, God, God sees that, right? Last verse I'm going to read and then I'll be done is uh, Matthew 25, 34 through 40. And I told you I was going to read a lot of verses because it says it much better than me. Um, and this is a parable that Jesus is, is speaking in, in Matthew 25, 34 through 40. It says this, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did you see me hungry? Or when did you see... When did we see you hungry? When did you... And feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger, and invite you in, or naked, and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will answer them and say, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them you did to me. Um, and so it's all through the New Testament of Jesus caring for those, especially his disciples, especially those that he was trying to fall, bring into him. Right? He cared for them in this parable. Um, speaks about that, that the brothers of the king, right? The Christian or the people around him, that the least of them, you did it to me. And Jesus is calling us. God is calling us to care for those around us. It's easy to come into church and to do the church thing, I guess is the way to say it, and then to leave and to go on. And, and throughout the whole week, we just live our own lives. And then we come back on Sunday and we do the church thing and then we leave. But God is calling us to be a family. Um, and I know this church is very good at it. And I'm, I'm blessed to be a part of this church. And uh, I just want to encourage you that my wife and I have noticed being a part of the family. Um, I mean, we grew up here, but I never really went to this church until we moved here about three years ago. Just because I was in high school, I went for a few years. But um, we've really noticed that, that this church is a family. But another thing that I've noticed is we have lost a lot of people that are family members, and we need to go check on them. If you know of anybody, I want to encourage you to call them this week and just say, hey, thinking of you, praying for you, right? And, uh, and just encourage them that God loves them and that we're still here and that we want to be a family. So do you guys have any questions or anything? Most of you know that I have five sons. One of them is handicapped. Uh, of the other four, um, two of them are in church regularly every Sunday. Two of them rarely, if ever, darken the door of the church. But every one of them appreciates this church because they know that if my clock isn't working, I can call somebody. 
that if I need my air conditioner filters replaced, uh, I'll have somebody there within a day to change the filters. They know that, um, that this church ministers to me as a widow. Um, none of them live within 100 miles of, of my home. And the reason that I can stay in the home that I love and go to the church that I love is because of you people, every one of you. You minister to me in ways that you're not even aware of. Brett comes and takes care of my, my computer if I have a need. Uh, things that seem to be uh, absolutely uh, trivial. They're not trivial. I, they make my life possible. And I want to tell you, I appreciate it and my kids appreciate it. I've had one of my sons say to me, if we could find a church like the one that you go to, we would start attending that church. Now, I don't know about that. I think it's an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> but they appreciate the family that I have here. And I, I just don't think there is a, there's a better church family than this one. And I want to thank you all for the way that you minister to me. You may not even be aware. Just just the friendships that I have here and the, the fellowship that I have, they make life um, have meaning and purpose. And this church is a testimony, not just to the city of Raleigh, but to, uh, to many, many people um, all over the place. So I, I just want you to know that I'm grateful and thank you for that. Amen. Thank you, encouraging. May I share something? Yes, ma'am. People watch us all the time. They're either wearing a cross or there's something about us that attracts them. And when I was with my husband, Alton, uh, we were at a restaurant and suddenly a man came over on his knees and sat there. And he said, I'm sitting over there with those people and I'm watching you and I don't know what it is you have, but I want it. Mm. And Alton said, this is my girlfriend. He says, that's mine. He says, this is my fiance, and we're married next Saturday. And he said, oh, and he went away. Then he came back on his knees and said, I had cancer, and they removed it, but I think it's come back. So I put my hand on his arm and said, may I pray for you? And he said, can you? And I said, yes. And then my husband took, or fiance took my hand, and we prayed for him, all right? At this point, he's in tears. Then Alton said to him, would you like to say a prayer? He said, I don't know one. He said, I will say a prayer, and you may repeat it, which is the prayer of salvation. And he thanked us and went away again. Now, there was nothing about us other than we were wearing a cross that drew him so we do have a magnetism by our behavior about our mouth and what we say and do that does set an example that they want. And a lot of people, as we get older, and we have friends that are older that are not Christians, they don't know how to come and get it. They're embarrassed. They've waited this long. So we need to be there for them. Yeah. Okay. No, it's 100%. And there's nothing wrong with walking up and saying, you seem to be having a problem. Can I help? And Alton did that one time. I said, those three ladies at that table have a problem. 
and he went back and he said, can I help you in some way? I'm a minister. And she said, our friend just told us she's dying of cancer. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they all prayed and he brought all three to salvation. Wow. So it's the example and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to ask. A lot of them are waiting to be asked. Okay? And what's the worst thing that can happen? Okay? And we had an example, the math teacher, Bob Rhodes, who was for his whole life an atheist and told people, do not speak to me about religion. And then, who was it that died? Joe Zills. Who was a custodian at the school. At that, that service, he accepted Jesus. And he is so active in his church. Uh, he's a greeter. He goes to the convalescent hospitals and gives communion to those people. And he's just really held on to it and has spread it out. So there is hope for everybody, even when they've denied it. All right? So I, I just wanted you to know oh, that's good. we are being watched. Yes. Okay? And so if you stub your toe, don't say something bad. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> so, uh, and just a little side note, that's just, two weeks ago I talked to the teens and I told them basically, hey, you guys are going to school, let's be good examples, let's not swear, let's be different. <laughs> People will notice we're Christians. And then through the week, as I was reading and studying, God started really convicting me. Um, and, and a lot of it has to do with this passage that Jesus didn't just not sin, right? Yes, he was a good example, but he also spoke out when God told him to speak out. And so this week, I kind of told the teens, hey, what I said wasn't wrong, but I gave you not the complete story. And then I talked to them about moralism versus true Christianity. Moralism, there are a lot of good people that are going to go to hell, that don't swear. I have guys at work that don't swear. They don't do this. They don't do that, but they want nothing to do with church. And the difference between that and being a Christian, it's not about not the things that we don't do. It's about the things that we do, right? And being obedient when God speaks to you or you have an impression that, hey, that person, there's something not right, and you go and speak to them, or I need to <coughs> encourage this person, or they've been on my mind all day, let me just call them. That's being obedient to God, and that's doing what, that's true Christianity versus just moralism. And that's, I mean, I've got the notes right here from my teens, but that's what we had talked about, and that goes along with that very well. So, thank you. And I talk to all kinds of strangers. They may not be happy about it. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to have enough time to fill up till 7. So but let's pray and we'll close.